Well, hey, good morning. Grab your Bibles, turn to Matthew 6. Find your way to Matthew 6. We're going to be in verses um, 25 through 34 of Matthew 6 this morning. Um, back when Calvin, my oldest son, was a senior in high school, um, his soccer team, he was with Western Michigan Christian, they found themselves in the finals of the state championships. And um, I was coaching. I was one of the coaches with that team. It was a very, very talented team. And as we took the field that day, we felt very, very confident that we were going to win. And uh, we went out in the first half and dominated play. If memory serves me, we outshot the other team, I believe, 22 to 1 in the first half. And as the guys kind of regrouped for halftime, um, we'd battered their goal, we'd hit the crossbar, we'd hit the post. But the truth is we were down one to nothing. Their, their one shot, it was a cross from the left corner, it kind of came across at the six, it was a good play, it deflected off of one of our players and found its way into the back of the net. So now I'm looking at a team that is very, very frustrated, they're a little bit nervous, they've dominated play, but they're losing, they're the stronger team. So as a coach, what do you do? Do you sit them down and go, just not your day. Guess this isn't going to roll real well for us. Nothing else we can do. Might as well give up now. Is that your move? Do you yell at them? Do you say, play better? Do you be like, try harder? Like, 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 like what's your move as a coach to motivate a team that has dominated the play, but they find themselves down at halftime? Like, like what's the best thing that you can do as a coach to counsel them? And in that moment, the best we could tell our kids is, do what you practiced. Go back to the fundamentals. Do the things that you know will work. Keep pressing. Don't give up. Don't change course. We're the better team. We're the stronger team. We have a good game plan. This is not the time to panic. This is not the time to divert. And I tell you that story because... This morning, we're talking about strongholds. We've been in a series probably for the last nine, ten weeks talking about tearing down strongholds, and the stronghold that we're talking about this morning is anxiety. And half the eye contact stops in the room. Because here's the truth. It's halftime in our battle against anxiety. It's our halftime in our game against worry, and we're losing we're not doing well. Maybe, maybe you're the guy in the room that says, no, 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 I'm one of these carefree guys, no worries. I never have any stress. I have no anxiety. Okay, I, I, I'm, honestly, I'm happy for you. You're a unicorn. Um, you, you're pretty unique in our culture and in the context of this room. You might even be an ostrich. You might have your head in the sand. But if you're that guy, I'm happy for you. But I would say the majority of us, if we were honest with ourselves, would say as it relates to this stronghold of anxiety... It's something that we need to work on. It's something that um, we're not handling well. The, the big idea this morning is simply this. Anxiety is defeated when we remember the fundamentals. Anxiety is defeated when we remember the fundamentals. If I have to prove a point, which I don't think I have to spend a ton of time on, but if I need to prove, like, are, are you sure anxiety is winning? Let me just give you some facts. Let me give you some input into what the score is. In, Mar or in May of 
2019, just over two years ago, the New York Times published an article said, that said, Americans are among the most stressed people in the world, poll finds. So as Americans, we're among the most stressed people in the entire world, but we're also one of the most prosperous. We have some of the greatest technology advancements. We live a higher standard of living than the rest of the world, and yet we find ourselves, as the polls conclude, some of the most stressed, anxious people on the planet. In December of 2017, the American Psychological Association said that three out of four Americans share at least one indication of stress at least every month, most every week. The four things that they pointed to that say kind of, you know that you're struggling with anxiety if, they said 45% report lying awake at night, 36% report feeling nervous or anxious, 35% report irritability or anger, 34% report fatigue due to stress. And the only question I've got is if I'm laying awake and I can't sleep because I'm fatigued and I'm angry about it because I am anxious, like if I've got all four of those, like that's probably not a good sign either, right? And some of us are struggling to that level. Some other interesting facts, the biggest source of our worries, the biggest force of our stress as Americans is money. There was a survey by Northwestern Mutual, which I found kind of self-serving, but the insurance company found that money was the dominant source of stress for 44% of Americans. The next largest source of stress was 25%, so money was almost double the next leading cause of stress, 25% personal relationships, 44% money, and yet we're one of the most prosperous countries on earth. Data from the American Psychological Association also shows that money is the number one stressor for Americans, and I don't think that it's a coincidence that in this Sermon on the Mount that Jesus preached early in his ministry, which is recorded for us in Matthew 5 through 7, that he turns to this issue of anxiety in the middle of the sermon. But if you just look a couple verses up in chapter 6 to verse 21, for where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. And then in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. I think Jesus knew that when he talked about money, the next thing he was going to have to address was anxiety. The American Psychological Association also says that there's a gender gap when it comes to anxiety and worry, that women worry more than men. I don't think that would surprise any of you, but they've also noted that. Here's all I would point out to you. All of the numbers, all of the stats that I've given you to support that we're losing the battle against anxiety, all of these stats were accumulated pre-pandemic. Pre-pandemic. It's interesting. In May of 2020, so just a year ago, right at the start of the COVID pandemic, Gallup issued a poll, and it said this. This was the title, Worry and Stress Fuel Record Drop in U.S. Life Satisfaction. So a year ago, May, all of a sudden, everybody said there's a record drop. It was because we were falling into a pandemic. It was because people were stressed. They had anxiety. But that survey was, just so I can point this out, it was conducted um, pre-George Floyd, pre a summer of rioting in our cities, pre the Capitol being stormed. 
Things aren't getting better over the last 12 months, and though we're coming out of the pandemic, God willing, it's been a difficult 12 months. If there's ever been a time where I could talk about anxiety and stress, it's in the backdrop of what we just went through. The American Psychological Association has recognized a new disorder. It's called PCSD. It is a subset of post-traumatic stress syndrome. It is post-COVID stress disorder, PCSD. And they say the um, symptoms of this basically show that we're declining in our overall health as a result of our inability to cope with the stress that was caused by the pandemic. It says many have reported that they have gained or lost an undesired amount of weight. Who here would say they've done that? I won't ask for a raise of hands. I'll just confess to you I've done both. Okay, kind of right back where I started. I lost it, then I found it. Okay, so up and down. That, that's my COVID experience. Uh, alcohol use through the roof over the last 12 months. Increased drinking, more alcohol consumption, and people not getting the desired amount of sleep. So I, I'm just telling you, the scoreboard says that we're losing the battle of, against anxiety, and maybe that's you, and you're like, yeah, I, I'm caught up in what the culture's doing. What I need to do is I need to get to a pastor. I need to work through my anxiety. Well, can I tell you a little bit about your pastor? There's a website devoted to the um, emotional and spiritual care of pastors. It's called soulshepherding.org. And it posted some statistics over the last few months coming out of the pandemic. Here's some of their findings as it relates to the pastor that you might want to go talk to. It says that 75% of pastors report being extremely stressed or highly stressed. 70% of pastors are currently fighting depression. 40% report a serious conflict with a parishioner at least once a month. 80% of pastors believe their pastoral ministry has negatively affected their families. 77% of pastors do not feel they have a good marriage. 70% do not have someone they consider a close friend. And 85% of pastors have never taken a sabbatical. So that's the guy you want to help you with your stress and anxiety. And my point in showing you those statistics is simply this. This is not a culture problem. This is an us problem. Could we agree? In this room, in the church context, as followers of Jesus Christ, if we're not careful, or maybe just if we're honest, we'd have to admit that we're losing the battle against fear, against worry, and against anxiety. Interesting when you consider pastors, other things from soulshepherding.org. On average, new pastors coming out of seminary, seminary trained pastors, their pastoral career before they give up is averaging five years. Think for a moment of how many pastors you know. Um, they are reporting that four out of five pastors currently in ministry will not be in ministry in 10 years. 80% of pastors will leave ministry in the next 10 years. We're not winning. And it's not just in the culture. It's in our church. So I don't want to fight about what the score is. I think the scoreboard is clear. I think what we need to discuss is not the fact that we're losing. We need to look at why we're losing. If you're keeping notes, here's the first thing. It's halftime. Anxiety is winning because, here's the first point, our focus is temporal. Our focus is temporal. I want to make these arguments from the text. I want to let God's word breathe. I want you to see these points right from the words of Jesus. Look at Matthew 6, verse 25. 
Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or, nor about your body, what you will put on. And then he says this. He says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? When we focus on the physical in this First, the examples were clothing. It was, what are you going to eat? What are you going to drink? Kind of the basic necessities of life. He's saying, don't be anxious about these things. Don't worry about these things. And I would just say in this room, in our culture, in our country, I really don't think most of us are concerned where our next meal is coming from. I don't think that's the issue. So, so he's talking about the basic necessities, but I'm talking to a people group that is the most stressed, and they're not even stressed about those things. Now, now maybe some in this room are stressed about those things, and, and, and you're looking at the bills, and you're looking at the end of the month, and you're saying, I, I, I don't know where all of this goes. That's the level of anxiety that Jesus is directly addressing. He's talking about the basic necessities. That's not a concern for most of us, but it is a concern for some. And I want you to hear what he says. Even at that level, even when the struggle is that deep, he says this. Don't be anxious about it. Is not life more than food, the body more than clothing? Can we just admit for a moment that when we get worried, when we get anxious, doesn't our viewpoint get very narrow? Doesn't it get very short? Do we not quit thinking about, or don't, do we quit thinking about eternity? All of a sudden, we're just focused on the immediate. I remember 10, 12 years ago, I was over in a country called Liberia on the western side of Africa. It's one of the poorest nations, one of the three poorest nations on the globe. And I was working with pastors there and what I would do is we'd get up every morning and I'd be like, okay, guys, what's the plan? What's the schedule? What's the agenda? And they're like, we don't have any. And that drove me crazy because I was just way more organized than they were. And we're like, first thing we got to teach you is organization. What time does your church service start? Somewhere between 8 and 10. No. How long does it go till I'm done? Okay, no. Like, like we're trying to Americanize their system. And by the way, that's a really bad plan. But the interesting thing was, what he noticed and what made him laugh so hard was, he goes, why do you plan your day all around meals? You want to know where we're going to go for breakfast, where we're going to go for lunch, where we're going to go for dinner. He goes, we don't think that way. If we get one meal, we're happy. And we don't worry about it. And I said, because that's because you're unorganized. <laughs> no. The issue was they'd live to learn by faith and trust in the promises of God. Made me pause. It's interesting, in verse 11 of chapter 6, Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray. And he says, give us this day our daily bread. Sometimes when God brings you to a point that you're worried about the essentials, he's teaching you something that his promises are true. Yes, water, food, clothing, housing, those are essentials. If you're facing those type of concerns, those concerns are real, they're valid. But what I want you to hear is God says, I got this. I also know that they're essential, and what I can promise you is I'm going to provide for your essential needs. Stress shortens our perspective. It creates some real unhealthy patterns of thinking. Here's the second thing that I see from the text, verse 26. We're losing, it's halftime, and one of the reasons is because we forget who we are. 
I love verse 26. It's my favorite in the whole text. It says this. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Then this phrase, are you not of more value than they? So, so he says, don't worry. Don't be anxious, even about the essentials. And what I want to po- give your attention to, what I want you to, to maybe focus on for a minute is, there's birds out there. I'm providing for them. There's animals out there. I'm providing for them. I'm meeting needs constantly. I'm in the need of, uh, I, I meet the needs of the entire creation. And then he asks this question, and this is important because we forget who we are. You see what he says in the text? He says, are you not of more value than they? So in the middle of our worry, in the middle of our anxiousness, God says this, I love you. You're mine. If the creator of the universe cares about you, why are you stressing the little things? He says in Jeremiah 31 verse 3, he's talking to his people, the nation of Israel, back in the Old Testament, he says this, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. In the middle of talking about anxiety, Jesus stops for a second. He says, listen, you're valued by the creator of the universe. You are loved. He loves you with an everlasting love. And you think he's going to neglect his care for you? We forget who we are. Here's a third thing. We think what is helping is hurting. What we think is helping is hurting. Look at verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Worrying about things outside of our control, I'm just telling you, it ain't helping. It's not helping. Worrying about our days is the best way to shorten our days. Anxiety's effects on our physical well-being are well-documented, and they cannot be ignored. If you are losing the battle against fear, anxiety, and worry, that's going to be linked to Headaches, heartburn, heart attacks, insomnia, fertility and sexual issues, weakened immune system, high blood pressure, digestive issues, muscle pain, tense muscles, and the list goes on and on. The New York Times wrote a, uh, published an article in April of 2019. They said stress may impair memory and thinking skills. Good, so we got that to worry about too, right? Like, like I'm telling you, stress, it's not whether it may, impair your thinking skills, when you're under stress, when worry and anxiety have control of your heart, you're not thinking well. You're not making good decisions. You're not making good life choices. Anxiety is killing us. Verse 34, therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. How much of our anxiety, how much of our worry, how, about, how much of our stress is worried about something that could or may not happen in the future? We're worried about what comes next. How much of our worry is about hypotheticals that never happen? You're in the showers one morning, you're trying to wake up, you reach on your back, it's like, man, that hurts, there's a bump on my back. I wonder what that is. Maybe it's a tumor. Maybe I have bone cancer. If I have bone cancer, how am I going to care for my kids? How's my wife going to get by? What if I'm dying? I don't want to die. You get out of the shower, you say, hon, is there something on my back? She's like, yeah, it's an ingrown hair. Let me get that for you. 
Like, like, seriously, how much of our worry never, ever comes true? Tomorrow has enough problems for its own. And here's what I want you to understand. Any amount of worry, stress, and anxiety that you put into tomorrow's problems, it's not helping. And you're missing a very, very important promise of God. In Lamentations 3, God says his mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. I remember when my oldest sister, um, she was a nurse. She was diagnosed with cancer. And, and from the beginning of the diagnosis, she had colon cancer that had spread to her lungs. Um, her probabilities of survival were zero. And as a nurse, she knew what that looked like. She cared for people who had gone through that process. Um, it's not pretty. It's difficult. And you can try to steer the advancement of cancer, but there was no cure, and um, I would just say cancer is not the easiest thing to steer. And it was very easy in that moment to start worrying about what things would look like in three months, six months, nine months, a year. She had kids that were still in high school, and the looking forward was the difficult part, but I went through that whole journey with her till the Lord took her. His mercies were new every morning. And she didn't have the capacity at the beginning of the journey to deal with things that would be at the end of the journey until she got there. We do not have a reservoir of strength to deal with tomorrow's problems. God's going to fill that thing every day. His mercies are new every morning. Here's a fourth thing. Our focus is temporal. We forget who we are. What we think is helping is hurting. And we just lack faith. Look at verse 28. Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Verse 30. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today and tomorrow will be thrown into the oven... Will he not more, much more clothe you? Hear this phrase. It's the most important. Oh, you of little faith. Here's what Jesus has just done. He's gotten to the root of our anxiety. He's gotten to the root of this stronghold of fear. It's because we lack faith. Because unbelief gets the upper hand. One of the results is anxiety. Hebrews 3.12 says this. Take care, brothers. That's the reality that the writer of Hebrews is saying, listen, you're in a battle, you're engaged in a war, you become a brother, you're part of a family, and he's saying, hey, I'm giving a warning to the family that is now engaged in a battle. Take care, brothers, lest there be any, uh, any of you with an evil, unbelieving heart. The battle that we fight as followers of Jesus Christ at its core is always unbelief. Will we believe what God has said is true, and will we trust in the promises of God? That's the base of the battle. It's against unbelief. Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you, lest there be of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from a living God. That's the risk. That's my fear with this stronghold, that we would be consumed by anxiety, fear, and worry, and what we would do is we would fall away from God because we fail to trust his promises, and there's precedent for that in the teaching of Jesus. Jesus, in explaining the parable of the, so of the soils in Matthew 13, he says this, the ones that was thrown among thorns, that is the one who hears the word, hear this, 
but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. In other words, what I'm trying to say is this. Life's most basic battle as a follower of Jesus Christ is against unbelief. We fail to believe that God loves us. We fail to believe that he is for us. We fail to believe that he sees our condition. We fail to believe that he cares. That's the front line of the spiritual battle that we face as followers of Jesus Christ. And when unbelief gets the upper hand, it leads to a series of other sins always. Listen, when, when, when I'm consumed with worry and anxiety, um, the people aren't going to like me. I've got relational anxiety. You're going to see me do things. You're going to see me not be transparent. You're going to see me put on a mask. You're going to see me become a people pleaser and all of the sins that that's going to lead to. If I'm not happy with my financial situation, I'm going to become jealous of others. I'm going to become envious of what they have. I might even resort to cutting corners and cheating on taxes and these things. This anxiety and worry about finances, about relationship, whatever it may be, worry and anxiety, that unbelief is the root of many of the different sins. And if we could deal with the problem of unbelief, if we could deal with that, um, we'd be gaining ground in a lot of different areas that we struggle. So here's a question. Got to address it in the middle. This is the difficult question. Is anxiety sin? Is anxiety sin? And let me answer this very, very carefully. Please stay with me through the whole answer. The answer is yes and no. The answer is yes and no. Let me argue for yes right now. The reason why I believe that anxiety is sin is because at its root is unbelief. If I were to take you back to the beginning of the Bible into the first two chapters, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, you don't find anxious people. You don't find people filled with worry. You don't find people filled with fear. But in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve doubt what God has said. They doubt that what God has promised in his word is true. They choose to rebel against God, and immediately the result of that sin is they're hiding from the presence of the God, from God. And it's like, well, we're now fearful. That's the first place that we see fear, fear, anxiety, worry. It's a result of sin. Another argument that I would make is that to not obey what God has told us to do is the very definition of sin. The most common command in the New Testament to the follower of Jesus Christ is do not be anxious, fear not. I was talking to my son-in-law, Austin, and he goes, what are you preaching on this weekend? I'm like, anxiety. He's like, great, Philippians 4.6. It's one of my go-to passages. I said, I'm not going to Philippians 4.6. He's like, why not? That's the passage that talks about anxiety. Half the Bible talks about anxiety. There's so many go-to passages because I believe Jesus knew that this is where he needed to focus instruction because we were going to struggle with it as his followers. It's interesting, when COVID hit a year ago, we immediately canceled our services, our, our, our sermon planning, and we began to broadcast John 14, 6, let not your heart be troubled. We looked at a passage where the disciples were, covered, were, were, were struggling with fear and anxiety. We said, that's what our people are going to need. I can take you to passage after passage, all the way back to the Psalms, the Old Testament, and throughout the New. Anxiety over and over, we're told to fear not. Look at verse 25 of Matthew 6. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. That's a command. 
That's a command. So anxiety, yes, it can be sin, but the answer is also no, because quite honestly, fear is a protection. And see, when I, when, I, when I say, listen, we're fighting the stronghold of anxiety, my concern would be that I would create more anxiety because now you're worried about your worrying. That's not my heart. Fear is a natural response. It's actually a protection. Um, I found this T-shirt. Can you put that picture up? I kind of like it. I don't own it yet. I might buy it. There it is. It says, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, except bears. Bears will kill you. Okay, I like that. And, and, and here's the truth. Like, bears, if I run into a bear in the woods, I'm nervous. I'm fearful of that. If I'm up in Alaska fishing, which I've done many times, and you run into a bear, like, fear's normal. It's actually healthy. It's good. Okay? Some people carry a gun. Some people carry pepper spray. I go to Alaska with at least one person that's slower than me. You got to do something because <laughs> the, the fear is real. Okay? It's real. So fear in itself isn't a sin. You could try not to be fearful the rest of your life. The problem is fear is actually a biological, it's a physical response to danger. It's for our protection. People will argue that without some level of fear, we're not even going to survive as people. Like it's a protection that actually keeps you healthy. But here's the argument that I want to make for Scripture when I argue that anxiety is not always sin. I want to give you a biblical basis for this. It says in Psalm 56.3, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. The fact that we're going to struggle with fear and anxieties, that we're going to sometimes be afraid, is assumed in the verse. It says in 1 Peter 5.7, casting all our anxieties on him because he cares for you. The assumptive in that verse in 1 Peter 5 is that we're going to have cares and anxieties. Um, was Jesus ever anxious? I'd point you to Mark 14 in the garden where it says that he was greatly distressed and his heart was troubled as he contemplated the cross. And Jesus struggled Sometimes, Hey, but did, did Paul struggle with worry and anxiety? Oh, you bet he did. Tells us in 1 Thessalonians that he's over in some other part of Asia Minor and he's just worried to death about the church. So he eventually sends Timothy back hoping to get a good report. We're told in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty eight, and apart from all the other things, he's talking about the stressors in his life. He says, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. So listen, when we talk about the stronghold of anxiety, yes, its core is unbelief, and that's a sin issue. No, we're all going to have moments of fear, anxiety, worry, and stress. That's what it means to be human. Well, well how do we know which is which? It's what we do with the anxiety that comes our way. How we handle our anxiety matters. There's some in this room that say, David, I deal with anxiety every day. Like, like, please don't tell me that it's a sin because if, if anxiety is only a sin and it's only a stronghold and I shouldn't have any anxiety, I don't know how to match that up with the reality that I have fear every day. I struggle with worry. I struggle with anxiety. I struggle with fear all the time. 
that's not where it becomes sin. Where it becomes sin is when we yield. And if we let our minds be consumed by our worries and our fears, danger, that's unbelief. How we respond to anxiety matters. Anxiety is an attack on our faith. It blurs our vision. It makes us uh, fail to see God's glory, his goodness, his love, and his plans for us. But it doesn't mean that we are faithless or that we're not going to make it to heaven or that God doesn't love us anymore. It actually means that we're under attack. I spoke with people in this room, life circumstances this week have put them in a situation where they have some fears and anxieties. That's not the problem. The problem is where are they going to go with those fears and anxieties, and that will determine in this battle, does unbelief win? Does fear and anxiety consume? Or can they offload that in a healthy way where actually they experience the power and the presence of the God in defeating this stronghold? So let me kind of develop this idea of how we respond to anxiety matters. If you're keeping notes, I'm down at um, seeing clearly when anxiety strikes. Here's the first point. Understand your vision is impaired. When, when, when worry, anxiety, and struggles hit, realize that your vision is impaired. The best way that I can drive this home, if you've driven for any length of time in Michigan, have you ever been in that situation where you're passing a truck on the road and the weather conditions aren't great, or you're passing a snowplow on the road, and as you go by them in the left lane and you're going past them, um, you're getting all the spill off from their wheels and everything else, and all of a sudden you're blinded? Anybody been in that position? Okay, yeah, for sure. That's what happens when worry and anxiety comes our way. We're in the left lane, we're passing the truck, we're doing everything right. It's just we're in a circumstance where all of a sudden our vision is impaired. And what I would tell you is in that moment, the first thing that you have to realize, even before you do anything else, is I'm not seeing really good. I'm not seeing clearly. And when you begin to experience fear, when you begin to experience weary, you've got to recognize in the way that you're thinking, hey, I'm sliding into a danger zone. I, I'm getting myself into an uncomfortable situation. I got to make sure that I'm seeing clearly. It's interesting. I, when I'm not seeing clearly, I've got to get to friends who I can ask, is my perspective skewed? Am I, am I not, am I seeing okay? Am, am I going crazy? Like, am I missing something? Man, I hope you have godly friends that in that moment will tell you not what you want to hear, but what you need to hear. Like, understand that when worry and fear start to consume, you're just not seeing clearly. 1 Peter 5, verse 6 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. The reason that I read you those verses is he's saying, cast all your anxieties on me because what you need to realize is what's really happening here is you're in spiritual warfare and the devil is attacking. Worry and anxiety is actually a sign that you're in the battle. The devil is attacking. 
There's a spiritual war coming on. And in that moment, you need to say, listen, I'm just not seeing clearly. So, so if you're driving by a truck and it's kicking off all this spray and you can't see, what's your next move? What do you do? Accelerate. No, that's not your next move. Okay, it's interesting. Hopefully, other than this guy, and I think I've driven by you on the road, but that's a whole other problem. Um, other than that guy, you turn on your wipers, right? It's interesting. Even before you turn on your wipers, I'll tell you, instinctively, you do something that's really interesting. As you're going by that truck, as you lose vision, as you're worried about the conditions of the road, do you notice that you put your hands at 10 and 2? I drive at 5.30 and 6.30. I drive at 1.15. I drive in a lot of different positions. But when I get worried when I'm passing the truck, I drive like my wife. I'm at 10 and 2. I'm just right there. And I return to the fundamentals. And as I realize that I'm not seeing clearly, I return to the fundamentals. There's nothing magical here. But the first thing I'm going to do probably is turn on my windshield wipers. Does that make sense? I would say in this analogy, turn on your windshield wipers and your windshield wipers to help you see clearly are God's promises. Are God's promises. I find that when I'm feeling anxious about decisions, when my leadership is going to be questioned, when doing right is going to be difficult, Psalm 41.10, fear not for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. When I'm discouraged, when I feel like all my energies and my effort aren't making any difference, when I'm struggling with my confidence as a pastor, Isaiah 55, 10 and 11, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Verse 11, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish all that I purposed and shall succeed in the things which I sent it. When I'm exhausted, as a parent, as a pastor, when I'm just spent, 2 Corinthians 12, 9, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. When I'm anxious about the future, I already referred to this, Lamentations 3. Listen, his mercies are new every morning. You're going to be there for me tomorrow, just like you were here yesterday, and just like you were here today. Great is your faithfulness. When I'm anxious about facing opposition, when the culture seems to be winning, Romans 8:31. if God is for us, who can be against us? When I'm anxious about getting old, So my wife and I celebrated our 38th anniversary this week. And on Friday, she did a post on Facebook. She's on social media more than me. And she's like, hey, how wonderful to be, you know, married for 38 years. And she showed these wonderful pictures. Maybe some of you saw this of the two of us together. And then she added this one. Yeah, that's me. She put me through one of those age-generating photos. <laughs> And I was feeling bad because she beat me to the online tribute because you can't do it second because then you just look lame as a husband. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? But as I'm going through the tribute, this, 
yeah, that thing, that was the last pastor, or the last picture in the thing, and I'm like, okay, I don't feel like I owe anything in this moment because that's like my worst fear come true, right? When I worry about getting old, and in my family's genetic, that means senile as well. Isaiah 46, verses 3 and 4. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel who have been born from me, uh, who, who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb. God's saying, I've been there every day of your existence. And then he says this in verse 4. Even to your old age, I am he. To the gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made and I will bear. I will carry and I will save. When I'm anxious that I won't finish the race, Philippians 1.14, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Remember God's promises when fear and anxiety, have them in your toolbox, have them in your close reach, have them on three by five cards so that you can get to them when fear and anxiety begin to consume. And then here's the other one. I use my washer fluid. Like when my windows, I turn on the wipers, all of a sudden I'm just spraying mud and ice and sludge and slush all over the place. I, I, I hit my washer fluid. Kristen and I just spent two weeks driving from San Diego to Seattle. I had a rental car that had no washer fluid in it. I went to the store, I poured a gallon of washer fluid in it, fired it up again, nothing. It rolled right out of the car, poured it, landed on the sidewalk, there was a hose broken. So in 1,500 miles, it's not always just the storm of going by the truck, it's just the daily collection of whatever I was hitting, bugs and maybe a seagull, I don't know. <laughs> some, some big blotches on the window, that's all, I'm, that's all I'll confess to, okay? But as, as you do this, you, you hit the washer fluid, and if the wipers are prayer, the washer, I mean, if the, wa if the wipers are God's promises, the washer fluid is prayer. Philippians 4, verses 6, don't be anxious about anything, okay? That's a command. Do not be anxious. Well, what about this, about anything? But in everything, 100% words. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Then verse 19, if I were to jump down to the end there, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Jesus Christ. God is not so bankrupt that he can't meet the needs of your essentials. His promises are true. And when worry and anxiety begin to consume us, we return to the fundamentals. Get your hands back on the wheel. Remember God's promises. Turn on the windshield wipers. Spray the windshield. Don't forget to go to prayer. And I'll just give you one more. Keep driving. Keep driving. Maybe even accelerate. Who knows? Don't give up. Just because we've come into circumstances where momentarily we've lost sight of the road doesn't mean we're on the wrong road or that God is no longer for us or with us or guiding us or protecting us or valuing us. It just means that our confidence was shaken for a moment. Keep driving. Trust in the promises of God. Return to the fundamentals. Verse 31 of Matthew 6. Therefore, don't be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? 
for the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added to you. Whether we stay on the track, whether we stay on the road, is going to depend on how and, and if we have a plan on what we're going to do when anxiety and worry strike, because it's coming. When it comes, return to the fundamentals. Remember God's promises. Get on your knees. Don't lose hope. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for 10 or 11 verses in Matthew 6 that you would care enough about us in the middle of your first sermon to address the very thing that is a stronghold in so many of our hearts. How could you know 2,000 years ago what we would be experiencing as a church and as a culture and as your followers? But you know, because you always know. And you care for us because you always care for us. And you loved us in advance so that we can go to your word and find instruction for today. Father, thank you for loving us so well. Father, forgive us for doubting that you've got this. It's in your name we pray. Amen.